Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. I'm so excited that my first three guests are kind of the god fathers of the cocktail scene right now. Um, and we have Brendan Dore from B&O Brasserie, Doug Atwell from Rye, and then Ryan Sparks from Bookmakers Cocktail Club. So thank you guys for trudging through the snow today to come hang out. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah. you. So I sort of just wanted to start out and talk about everyone's kind of like backstories. I feel like everyone in the industry or people that cover the industry kind of got into this scene in earnest in some way or another. I know for me it was like going to shows in high school. I always found myself just in bars um, before I probably should have been. <laughs> so, you know, whether it was like the old auto bar or, you know, the talking head. Um, and and then, you know, fast forward forever, I came to the magazine and they were like, we should probably do blogs. That sounds like a good idea. And so I was like, all right, I'll write about drinking because I do it often. So <laughs> that was that was sort of my foray into it. I didn't know if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about how you got your start. Um, Brendan, I know you've been doing it for a while. Sure. So I began when I was 17 in restaurants because I thought it was a good idea to make money during college, which it was. Yeah. Um, did uh, a lot of college and a uh, finished up with a degree here in Baltimore at Peabody. But um, after school, just decided I wasn't ready to uh, go out there and find a job or use my degree from Peabody and move into music and just kept working at bars. And you sing, right? I That's do. Your... I sing opera. Okay. And, I might make uh, you do that later. <laughs> maybe after a couple cocktails. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just I was fortunate to work at a bar called Ixia that is no longer around. And Ixia came along during the everything being a martini craze, which definitely oh. helped and hurt the bartending movement. It helped in the way that it got people to think outside the box for ingredients we can use in cocktails. But it hurt it because everybody thinks anything in up glass is called a martini. Right. I still get people asking for, you know, do you have pomegranate? I got two pomegranate martini requests over this past Valentine's Day. Gotcha. It's X, X flavor yeah. and then martini. And then martini. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, and I, working there, we work, I worked with a great owner who sent us around to other cities to be able to learn and grow. We started recognizing how the trends of cocktails were changing, so we started adapting our martini list into a cocktail list um, and then hand making ingredients we worked with great chefs at Ixia who had good suggestions and we just kind of evolved very organically yeah. everybody always asks oh did I go to bartending school where did I learn and I was just fortunate to work with really amazing people who helped me grow pushed me to grow and learn a lot and then I realized this whole other world outside of Baltimore was there for bartenders to learn and started going to events, seminars, competitions. You get into competitions, you see other bartenders do different things and you fi figure out why they do it that way. Right. I, was, uh, I feel like I'm good at watching people do stuff yeah. and pick up on how they do it and why they do it. And so yeah, my evolution was really, I feel organic. And now there's just so much information out there. Thanks to, I like to credit the Food Network as well for mm -hmm. the, the way the cocktail movement has pushed because what do we do when we eat? We drink. And all of a sudden, you know, people got into wine, beer as well, and then why not cocktails? Cock all these wonderful other spirits started coming out, and it just made our job so much more enjoyable, pleasurable, just fun and exciting. 
and, and it's a great time to be a bartender. Yeah, and I feel like people got more adventurous in that time too, so it was sort of really good timing with what Absol- you were doing. Absolutely, I think we're, we're just, you know, it had to happen to someone. Yeah. And we're just the ones who it happened to, and it's lucky that we are here. And you guys kind of had a similar path. It's not like you went to bartending school. Is that a thing, bartending school? It definitely is, but it's it's a trade that you have to learn by being hands-on. Yeah. It's just like being a mechanic. You yeah. can go to a mechanic school, but you're not going to get the job placement that you really want unless you learn through people that actually know what they're doing. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as my start in the, this industry, I was 14 when I first started working in restaurants as a busboy, and then um, kind of took a hiatus for a couple of years. And college is when I started bartending and did out of necessity to, you know, just pay my way through school. Yeah. And worked for Ford Motor Company in Michigan when I graduated from school and was laid off in 2007, really when the auto industry kind of took a dive in Detroit. So went back to making drinks just out of necessity of the time. And uh, at that time is when craft beer really took off. Mm-hmm. And Michigan is huge in craft beer. I mean, there's, I think they're the third most uh, breweries per state in America. Wow. And um, Behind, like, Colorado. And, yeah, Colorado, yeah. I believe Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be fourth now. Um, I didn't know that about Michigan. That's awesome. Yeah, there's tons of Michigan. So, I mean, growing up in Ann Arbor, which is college town, um, so everything is pushed to be local, local, local. Right. And there's a lot of breweries just in that city alone. So started drinking better beer. And that got me interested in drinking better spirits. Uh, so when I moved here, my first job here was at Brewer's Art, actually. And then worked at Of Love and Regret based on the beer stuff. And uh, there's where I... Before moving here, I really started to get interested in spirits. But there's where I really started making drinks with yeah. different spirits. They have just such an awesome, like, portfolio. They do. Like, yeah. You know, a lot of obscure spirits that you don't see behind many bars. So yeah. it's kind of interesting to play around with those spirits. And then I uh, was fortunate enough to work at Jack's Bistro for a couple years there and develop a cocktail menu um work working with chef there he uses a lot of interesting flavor profiles and food so kind of took that and translated it into drinks and then was fortunate to um, be the opening beverage director at bookmakers so so it's kind of like your baby right when you're like mm-hmm. there from start to finish oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. that's awesome absolutely Speaking of babies, we're in Doug's baby. We're in Rye. <laughs> that kind of sounded <laughs> odd. Strange. We're inside your baby. Um, and, and Rye, I feel like, gets credited rightly so as being, like, the first cocktail-only bar in Baltimore. Do you agree with that? I feel like, yeah, there were there were hotel bars and, and there were restaurants with cocktail programs before, but I'd, I'd say we were the first standalone cocktail bar. Like, that was our mission from day one was to, to do a place that did classic cocktails. And my sort of introduction to the industry was 15 years ago, right around the time I was 22, 23. Like you, I was just spending a lot of time in bars. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular corner bar where I was a regular. And then it was so small. It was like eight seats at the bar and like 40 seats. It was more of a cafe. And... There was a there was a regular there uh, a regular bartender there who worked downtown at power plant at uh what was the seventies themes have a nice day cafe oh, yeah with the giant smiley face I always loved the cafe at the end of that name yeah because it was what an awesome cafe that was um, but Drew always kept calling out because his his full time bartending job was so lucrative and then he he wanted to be an actor so he kept 
going to like community theater productions. He was like Woody in Cheers. He was he had that theater bug. Yeah. So wait, what bar is this, or does it not? It doesn't exist anymore. anymore. It was over in Canton, but I started picking up shifts there. Um, Meanwhile, doing my day job as in web programming, and I kind of come from a like a computer and like IT background. And bartending was just a lot more fun. So like between jobs, I would pick up more shifts. And then gradually, it just, it just, I kept coming back to it. Yeah. Um, and 2004, the, the, the bar that no longer exists, the owner there had reopened Red Star um, with, a, with a pool of owners. And I came on board full time at Red Star doing a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the unofficial story is that the, the majority owner didn't like me very much. <laughs> so he kept asking my friend, the part owner, the general manager, like, get rid of him. And he just kept moving me around different jobs. Which is so, like the best way to learn. I yeah, think. it was. Yeah. It was that was that was the place where I kind of just you know like, got thrown into the deep end, mm-hmm. and I was a server and a food runner, and then I worked my way through the kitchen, which was, I think, to this day, maybe the most um, beneficial learning experience I had for bar management or cocktail making was, you know, the year that I was in the kitchen there, I went from cold side salad dessert all the way up to grill and sous chef wow and every time they would be between chefs they'd be like doug can you run the kitchen with uh for a little while and i'd be like oh yeah sure i guess so you could be running kitchens right now i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no thank you um but it, it got me kind of used to the hours yeah you know we would we were a tight-knit group of guys in that kitchen we'd work 12 14 16 hour shifts we'd go out after work we'd drink a bunch we'd get up in the morning, we'd do it all over again. So that sort of schedule, I really enjoyed, like, like the, the team atmosphere of that. Yeah, different from IT, I would think. Yeah, and then yeah. certainly over, like, the last 10 years, after there, I went to Waterford Hotel, where I started bartending and managing full-time. And always got along with the kitchen guys. Everyone kind of knew it. There was a, I think there's a, a trade-off of respect when you know what the back of the house does that makes it easier to run the front of the house. So there was when I bartended full-time, and that was... Four nights a week, just just steady bartending and beer and shots and live music every night. Like yeah, Waterfront gets like rowdy. Waterfront's crazy. It's I mean, crazy. it was it was even crazier. It was crazier back in the day. Yeah. Um, it's a little more polished now. Um, but I always liked the upstairs. Yeah, I yeah. worked upstairs a lot. Yeah. Um, but those those bartenders I know, the ones in that that worked there at that time, almost none of them are still bartenders. Hmm. Like they didn't really have. I think what's interesting to me now is longevity mm-hmm. and sustainability and like this as a career. Um, and a lot of the reading I do on my off hours, the few off hours I have are, are like about that right. specifically. I think like the perception of bartender as occupation has changed a lot too. Um, as far as like seeing it as a career and seeing it, do you guys feel like that's happened with you? Like when you tell people you're a bartender, has the reaction changed? I think so. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation too, because people, I'm sure people walk up to you guys and go, "So are you a mixologist?" Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, and you know, that word has helped it. Like the martini word has helped and hurt the bartender because right. it it said that you're taking your job more seriously, but it also had a bit of a negative connotation eventually, where it was like, "Oh, I'm doing something that other people can't do." Like snob. Yeah. Snobbing. Exactly. Yeah. So bartenders are trying to move away from that and say, "Hey, you know, we're not." We're not a mixologist. We're just still bartenders. Not to say that other people don't care about their job, but we uh, we 
dedicate ourselves a little further in depth into what is in our drinks, what's what right. ingredients we're using, <laughs> what products we keep behind our bar. And the service. I, and the service aspect, of course, yeah. biggest thing there is. I can't remember where I heard it recently, the idea of, like, you know, when I go to a dentist, I just go to a good dentist. I don't have, you don't have a special name for a dentist who's good and a <laughs> yeah. dentist who sucks. Right. You know, and that's yeah. kind of the way that's I feel true. about bartending. Like, I'm just a bartender. I, yeah. I would like to think I'm a good bartender. Right. And as far as, like, longevity and, and that kind of thing, I mean, it, I feel like you guys all do really interesting things on the side, too. Um, so whether it's, you know, like, your Forgotten Cocktail Club or running classes or consulting, I mean, I feel like there are so many ways you can take bartending now. There that, is. That maybe didn't exist before. Um yeah, I mean, there's definitely options for, you know, brand ambassadorships and things like that. I mean, it's not even just being behind a bar anymore. There's plenty of things that you can do within the spirits and service industry that don't include bartending, but obviously we all choose to do a little bit of both of those things. Um, right. It's just writing books these days. Yeah, How many people writing books, books, making tools. I mean, there's, you know, even just with the amount of education that you can take now there's places all over the united states for instance you know we're hosting a cocktail week here in april that is all about furthering education and it's you know not just for bartenders it's for people that are bar back servers right people that are just like cocktails as well so yeah that's the the bar institute that's running april 17th through the 19th so that's different than the cocktail week that was that was run last year yeah, yeah as a separate oh, okay. event yeah. gotcha run by a, a national production so, and this is like the baltimore chapter mm-hmm. of oh that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah it's it's nice that, like i feel really flattered that they chose baltimore out of six cities and then kind of divided up by region that's so really like the, cool. the northeast region will be will be hosted by Baltimore. Wow, that's yeah. saying a lot like yeah. of yeah. where this scene is right now as a even like compared to five years ago, I feel like. Absolutely. That's it's awesome. definitely grown. Yeah. And think how many bars were around five years ago that were really focusing on quality cocktails and all that. And now uh I think the bar guild we were trying to figure out today exactly how many we have. I think we have about twenty five different bars as you wow. know that have a bartender who is a member Mm -hmm. um this year at rise up we have 21 different bars who are participating in the event competition right so i mean that's amazing yeah because when did you start so this is the baltimore bar guild you started that in 2010 i actually happened upon the first meeting notes the other day i was looking for something and that came up and i was like huh but yeah it was probably Uh, a smaller winter 2010 it was snowing we did it at Grand Cru when uh, hmm. Nelson was there in wonderful Nelson fashion nice. and um, yeah it was a it was at the beginning yeah and, and now you have like how many members and now we have uh, probably about 40 plus members wow. um, and it's awesome it just keeps going strong and people are excited about it we keep trying to evolve and come up with new ideas and things that'll help us grow and just be involved locally as well. Yeah. Help build the local network of bartenders, regional and national, if not global. The Guild's like a good way to quantify like the growth of everything, I feel like, because yeah. I mean, you guys just keep expanding. It's awesome. Well, because over, like, over like the last four to five years, we've seen like more and more people show up at each meeting. Like the yeah. first that I, I think I got involved like the end of the first year. And that was like five or six of us at each meeting. Wow. Yeah. And then now it's like 25 to 30 people at every Show meeting. up, yeah. 
And that's not all the members yeah. either because not everybody can always make every single like meeting. Every meeting we have new people too, for the most yep. part. My, my friend Anna just joined that I grew up with. Oh, yeah. Um, from Lake Garage. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So she was like super, she called know, me. She like, was super excited. It's funny excited. to know everyone's names. Yeah. <laughs> I always have to take notes on who's yeah. here. Yep. And I'm like, First you name somebody and I name them by their last name as well. I'm like, yeah. this person, that person, they work yeah. at that bar. Um, so each episode I sort of wanted to revolve around a theme. Um, and since we were at Rye and Rise Up is coming up, I thought we could talk a little bit about Rye Whiskey and sort of the history of it and then how it's kind of come back into the fold. Um, and I know that Doug is the expert because he, you gave a talk at Tales of the Cocktail, right? Yeah, uh, done that talk with a panel of three different like small distillers producers making rye whiskey again. Um, <laughs> funny enough, none of them from Maryland, or none of them in Maryland. Um, Alan from Maryland. Alan was originally from Maryland. Um, yeah, it's sort of, I think rye whiskey as a whole got its resurgence because of uh, cocktails and classic cocktails. Um, Manhattan's Old Fashioned, Sazerac's being, I, in my opinion, and hopefully others, you know, just better with a spicy rye whiskey than a sweet bourbon. Mm -hmm. um, the interplay between like a spicy rye and sweet vermouth is a little bit more nuanced than sweet bourbon, sweet vermouth. Um, and yeah, the sort of the rye whiskey heyday in Maryland going from Civil War era to almost up until Prohibition, there were, I mean, it was a big, it was a cottage industry in, in the state here in Pennsylvania. Um, and we're really just starting to see that come back now with yeah. Sagamore and Baltimore Whiskey Company and, and some of these all small distillers and producers. Because mm -hmm. I feel like when people think of bourbon, they automatically think Kentucky. And so it, it would be, be nice to sort of have a similar, I mean, I think at one point it probably was rye to Maryland and Pennsylvania. And so yeah. it'd be kind of cool well, for that to happen again. Whiskey began here before it began in Kentucky and Tennessee and all those places. Yeah, it sort of started, it started here and then actually traveled to Kentucky. A lot of the people that were making rye whiskey became bourbon producers. Well, they're they trying to leave this area because the government was taxing them. Yeah. And they didn't want to be taxed on the product that they were producing. Yes. <laughs> and the whiskey rebellion, what, late 1700s? So, it was yeah. really the first, uh, you know, exercise of federal power, the yeah. whiskey rebellion. And then that chased a lot of the... The German-speaking German, -speaking, German uh, descended uh, people down into Kentucky, and then they would set up. They set up shops there where they couldn't be bothered. Um, Damn taxes, ruining everything. <laughs> everything. Ruining it for Maryland. <laughs> yeah, seriously. In Pennsylvania, we, we, we had it first. Yeah, and then, that's and good to know. During Prohibition, it sort of died out, and then after Prohibition, what we found in our research was the most surprising was a lot of the distilleries that started up in Maryland were. Huge. They were humongous facilities, making I think 14 million gallons a year of rye whiskey after Prohibition, and then that sort of died out again as people's tastes change. Um, I think vodka overtook whiskey as the number one, you know, drank spirit in the country yeah. in the mid-centuries, mid, like 50s, 60s, and then by the 70s it had become the number one spirit consumed yeah. in the United States. And you always say, isn't it like World War II sort of made vodka? Yeah, there were a lot of factors. Yeah. They credit a little bit of World War II just because uh, people found spirits, you know, other spirits like vodka. GIs would come back and it tasted this other spirit. 
think there's a whole, you know, some of the uh, experts out there who we look up to will say that the country kind of went through a, uh, what is it, a, a period of like flavorlessness or something like that. <laughs> the era of the fear of flavor. Or yeah, like exactly. Blandness where it was, everything was processed. Processed mm-hmm. and canned. Processed and, foods and TV dinners and yeah. microwaves and, and that's Soda thing. guns. Soda guns. Yeah. Yeah. And vodka. Sour mix. And, yeah. And so when do you really feel like, maybe with Rye specifically, people started requesting it again and it started being more in demand? And I know now it's even, I think you were telling me it's even more expensive because of the demand of it, some of it. Some, some of it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely Rye's that are priced very high with some of those really high bourbons. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of limited release stuff. You know? But it's definitely way more readily available now than it was even, I mean, I've lived here for four years and... I get tasted on new rise every week that I didn't even know were out. So I mean, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that's awesome. I remember in I think when I was still behind the bar at Ixia, we carried Jim Beam Rye mm-hmm. and Pikesville Rye, and that was in like 2007, 2008, and that's when I first started having people ask for rye, and so we were like tasting rye compared to like bourbon to figure it out. And then trying to find any information we knew about, we could find about like why is rye different than bourbon. Yeah. Well, post prohibition, as as people's tastes changed and rye kind of like fell by the wayside and people forgot about it and stopped drinking it, most of those recipes and the stocks and the labels were bought up by Kentucky bourbon producers. Right. So, Rittenhouse, Pikesville, Old Overholt, all have been made in Kentucky since like the seventies and eighties, um, and now those same producers are with that the resurgence of rye are scrambling to like meet demand both wow. for rye yeah. whiskey and for bourbon it's amazing isn't it and are you seeing a lot more customers coming in specifically asking for rye in their cocktails or asking oh, yeah, you definitely. what kind of rye you have yeah i mean every week you get more and more people that are asking about different styles of rye and um just whiskey in general i mean we lately obviously it's been a little bit colder so scotch has been what everyone's asking about yeah. Yeah, we still offer like uh, Manhattan's old fashioned Sazeracs. Uh, actually, not Sazeracs. I, yeah. I do that with rye by default. But Manhattan's an old fashioned because of what people are used to. We always ask rye or bourbon. Yeah, gotcha. And do you guys have any, as, as more local people are producing it, do you guys have any favorite sort of local ryes that, that you work with or that you carry that you'd recommend to people to go out and buy? I really enjoy the Catoctin Creek, their 93-proof bottle yeah. bottling mm-hmm. of rye. I think we're probably um, all going to say maybe that bottle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's <laughs> Loudoun like that. County, Virginia, um, so not Maryland, but 81 miles away. Pretty. That's pretty yeah. close. That's pretty yeah. close. I don't know why I know that. 81 is very specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and they're and they're very good people, and they've been they've been doing this for five plus years now. Yeah. Nice. Copper Fox is pretty nice too. Copper Fox is nice too. Yeah. So there's some there's some good uh, local rye out there that are well produced, well aged. You know, I think after when you get over a certain amount of years uh, in a barrel, it starts to taste a lot better. Softens the spirit, um, rounds it out a little bit more. You don't get quite the uh, heavy, heavy like raw grain note that you'd get when it's under two years. Right. Yeah, you know, but preferably three to four at least. I like. Nice. So Catoctin Creek. It must be the right answer if you all were going to say it. So. <laughs> were you going to say something different right now? No, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you want to talk a little bit about Rise Up? Um, I think it's obviously, you know, it's become 
this event that, that cocktail people look forward to every year and it, it's growing mm-hmm. every year. Um, it's something to do in the dead of winter, which is also nice too. Sure. So just talk about how you kind of decided the idea for it and, and the inspiration behind it. Sure. So um, I think, well, it was a, it was definitely a group effort. We were this, so we are in our fifth year of doing this event. So about five, more than five years ago, um, because we had to prepare for it, we began a discussion of what will we do to raise money for the bar guild. Um, so we can afford to send bartenders and to events or help spend on education and things like that. So um, we looked at our friends down in DC and said they do a, a Ricky month. What does Baltimore, Maryland have that, um, that could be associated with us? And we said rye. Rye was growing, obviously, um, and it was getting bigger, and it was something that I think we were all getting more and more passionate about. So we wanted to do an event that featured rye. So we also wanted to, um, I think, giving back to the community is a big, important thing. I think everybody would agree with me on that. Um, so we wanted to loop in something local, a com- you know, some kind of charity. So uh, the person who was in charge of that knew somebody who had or somebody who has uh, cystic fibrosis. So we reached out to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation of Maryland and asked them if they would be interested in being our benefactor for the event. Um, And we started just figuring out details, where it would be held, what would the event look like, um, how many people would attend, who would be our sponsor. Um, Thank you, Diageo with Bullet and uh, George Dickel Rye. But yeah, so it's been... uh, Five years, almost five years, going strong. Um, we get over 300 people to attend the event. Um, this year, we have 21 different uh, bars presenting a rye cocktail, wow. which will then, at the end of the evening, we will figure out who the winner is. This year, we have like 15 different restaurants, 21 different bars. Every year, we do local beer from Union Craft Brew, um, as well as wine, uh, Green Hat Gin, and Charm City Mead. Uh, works is going to do kind of a mashup cocktail as well as offer their spirit as a gin and tonic or just the uh, the mead itself. Oh, that's nice. There'll be a huge tasting table from uh, Bullet and George Dickel, um, an amazing set of restaurants from uh, Sugarvale, uh, Bookmakers, Agio, B&O. Um, I can't even name them all. We have so many. How is that all going to fit in B&O? It's like, it's, it's, it's tight. hard to picture. Well, that's gotten tight. Doug, Doug, Doug is in charge of figuring all that out. Oh, that sounds like a fun job. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a great event. I mean, I think, I think the best thing about the event is that every year going around asking people who want to participate um, and everyone being really emphatic and being excited about it year in and year out is, is a really nice thing to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've almost gotten to the point now where we have to like turn people away that want to be involved. But. Yeah. Wow. And I have a question for you. Sure. You've judged. Yeah. What was that like judging? Um, it that's a lot of drinks, and I, I can't imagine twenty one. <laughs> I was glad that you guys split it up last year. And that's how we're gonna do it again this and year. And coupled off the judges because it gets really overwhelming, and it also sort of, I mean, you take notes and I take pictures to try to remember things, but it, it tends to blend together because it is all rye cocktails. Mm-hmm in the end but it's been cool because i've judged i think two years Mm -hmm. now and seeing the difference even that a year made on just like the inventiveness and the creativity people were doing was was kind of mind-blowing um but i needed like a lot of water (laughs) and it's always on a sunday so i'm like 
crawling into work the next day. Um, we recommend yeah. taking your Monday off if yeah. you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I might this year, because if I'm enjoying it as a guest especially, I can like really fully have fun. So that'll be that'll be good. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's fun, and it's really fun to sort of like, I mean, I always feel humbled with the fellow judges who are on the panel, because you guys get some amazing knowledgeable people, whether it's Alan Katz or... Dave Wondrich. Yeah, Dave Wondrich. I mean, and I'm just kind of like sitting there and listening to them because they are geniuses. And so that's really fun to learn from the bartenders, but also learn from the fellow judges about just just taste and everything. And I'm just kind of soaking it all in. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a great cause. And I know everyone posts their cocktails on Instagram and that kind of thing. Um, if people want to... So do you guys have like a hashtag that you're promoting or... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's on the, B, um, the Baltimore Bartenders Guild Instagram. Okay. And um, all the entries so far that we've been able to make it to their bars, we've taken pictures of and posted them on there. And we'll continue to do that leading up to the event as well. Um, I think we pr probably have maybe 10 or so left total. Yeah. We've got a lot on there. But um, it's just trying to catch up with everyone's schedules is a little difficult. Do you guys go around and, like, Get or do they send them in to you? There's a couple people that send them in to us, but most of them we went and actually tasted. Oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Which is nice for me this year because last year I tried to taste all of them while I was at the event. It's it's <laughs> tough. This to be is, able to do it before the event is a lot. This is what I'm nicer. saying. <laughs> and I don't think I taste like I think I taste like two cocktails and two bites hard. of food during it's, the event. Yeah, I'm making sure it's and I think running well. Last year you did like sample drinks, right, as opposed to the full cocktail. Maybe that's what we do every year. Oh, okay. It, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. The judges get but, full drinks. Yeah. Yeah, the judges we put full drinks so you can see what the cocktail is supposed to look right. like. But, but for guests, for guests it's, it's a sample, so they can hopefully make it through most of them. I mean, yeah. 21 cocktails to go to, as well as the food tables, that's a lot of stations to hit. So you're probably yeah. not going to be able to get to every single one. Right. But, um, you know, hopefully you get to enough. And, I mean, I think if you even get to half of them, you probably got your money's worth to oh, be definitely. able to taste from... Oh, my God. it's such. I think and, it's such a good deal. When I tell my friends, I'm like, think about how much you spend at the bar on a Saturday night. <laughs> and then think about all of these cocktails, all of this food. And you have all these great bartenders yeah. in one spot. Yeah. yeah. No, it's... You it, won't get that at any event. I mean, some of the events we send six, eight bartenders to, right. ten bartenders, but you're never going to get 21 different bartenders from different bars no. who are generally the lead bartender. So... Yeah. Hopefully they know what they're doing behind their bar. Yeah. And so how much um, money do you typically raise at, at one of these events for um, CF? For CF last year, I think we gave them around uh, seven or $8,000. Wow. Something like that. So, so for one night, that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, for one amazing. night, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's not, nothing, it doesn't compare to some of their really huge events that they do personally, but, um, you know, it's a, definitely a sizable amount, and we're happy to do it. Yeah, And totally. uh, hearing uh, stories from people who have cystic fibrosis, um, means a lot when you really start to think about the the effect that the little bit of money we give can have on them. Right, because you you always have a speaker, yep, right? We do. Yeah, that's... I got choked up one year after I, she well, spoke. Well, you're like, here's all this whiskey, and then here's an emotional story. It's yeah. like I usually cry too. <laughs> um, but it's it, it is an amazing event, and I think it's well worth the money. Um, so you guys should everyone should check it out on Instagram to see the cocktails, and then but is our tickets through like Mission Ticks? Tickets or something? are through Mission Ticks. Okay. The event is Sunday, March sixth. Tickets are seventy five dollars. And uh, yeah, you'll get tons of Again, awesome things to taste. Think about and your bar eat tabs on a Saturday drink, night. Yeah. 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 Um, 
And I also wanted to give you guys a chance to talk about, I know that um, Ryan and his team at Bookmakers just recently opened a bar called Boiler Room, um, and I wanted just to let people know kind of what Boiler Room's about and sort of the, the inspiration behind it. Definitely. Um, the whole idea was to create a place that us as cocktail bartenders would like to go to when we get off work. Um, so the idea is Boiler Maker, so a shot and a beer pairing um, with a lot of beers that range from craft beer to you know inexpensive lagers domestic beers paired with interesting spirits that you might not see on normal back bars in federal hill uh, to kind of try to bridge the gap between the younger crowd in federal hill and the bookmakers crowd um and by doing that adding an arcade as well so um cheaper price point fun to be you know playing games and things like that uh, but still the same quality service that you would get at bookmakers is kind of the whole idea with that. And do you have a favorite shot and beer pairing, like your go-to? My favorite is Allagash White and Yellow Chartreuse. Mm. Hell yeah. Um, that sounds really good. <laughs> I, really I had like it that. the other night. It's great. <laughs> nice. I mean, probably the one I have most often is Miller High Life and Old Granddad. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's but, something to be said for that, too, though. Yeah, absolutely. Some nights, that's just what you'd want. Yep. And, you know, some of them are interesting, like Tecate and Ancho Reyes. You know, mm -hmm. things like that. You know, most people would probably pair tequila with that, but to do something that people aren't used to trying over there is kind of the whole idea with the with the pairings. You know, we have Fernet as one of the pairings, and that's probably the one that most people are like, I don't like this. Because people just don't like the licorice? They just don't like it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel like it's a love or hate thing. But it pairs licorice. well with root beer, so, I mean, it's... Totally. I'm sure it does. And people yeah. that like it love it. Yeah. And other people are like, yeah, I'm just not so sure about this one, but it's kind of the whole idea is to try to get people to open their minds a little bit. Right. And yeah. it's just like a couple doors down from Bookmakers, Two doors right? down. Yep. That's awesome. So you could like go to dinner at Bookmakers, yep. have a nightcap at Boiler Room, Absolutely. or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. And our same chef is doing the food there. It's a little more bar-centric, so it's not, um, you know, you're not having entree portions, but you're having things served in baskets, but they're still all house-made ingredients, you know, homemade pickles that are deep-fried and things like that, so... And pierogies, mm -hmm. I've pierogies. heard. Okay, yep. Yep. I homemade pierogies. was really excited about that. Yep. So. I also had the pierogies, and they were really delicious. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I've sampled I've sampled there already. Did you it's play delicious. any games while you were there? I did not. No. I played the game of drinking and eating. I bet. That's, I mean, it's a good game. It's competitive. I feel like most bartenders, when they're off work and they go into another bar, are, you know, by and large, going to try and not trouble the bartender and just have a beer in the shop. Yeah. Just focus. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's nice. There's something like that out there. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Oh, I'm excited. I need to. I need to make my way over to Federal Hill, which sometimes can be tough. We all get <coughs> stuck in our bubbles. I know. But oh, definitely. I I will soon. That's um, kind of the idea over there too, is to like create a new bubble over there on that side mm -hmm. of the street because yeah. that side is generally the slower side. But you know, with us opening and then Boiler Room and Local Fry, it's a little bit it's different like the cool than the other side, side of the street now. It's just a little bit. It is the different. Cool side <laughs> of the street. Trying to. Trying to, I like you that know, you're on that side. Yeah. There's parking on your side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And less pe people dodging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes. that's true. Yeah, and local fries right there. That's such a great late night spot. Yeah. Um, and then Doug, I know that you're you're planning on doing another cocktails at the conservatory. That's uh, yeah, May that. May twelfth. I think this. I can't. I've lost track. I think it's going to be our sixth or seventh um, cocktails at the conservatory that we've done. Um, all the proceeds go to the conservatory, which is this beautiful old Victorian-era glass conservatory in Druid Hill Park that, frankly, we didn't, me and my significant other, we didn't know existed until three years ago. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like And it's, it's just, just like this hidden gem in Baltimore. So we're very passionate about it. Um, 
we try and raise money. I mean, a lot of the operating costs that they um, need come from these events. Um, so we're, we're looking at expanding it. We're looking at adding more bartenders from different bars to, to come help us out. Um, like Anna from B&O has helped us out before. We've had friends come up from D.C. just on a Thursday night when they're not working. Yeah. Come and make some drinks for, for the conservatory. It's, it's a really fun event. We're really proud of it. It's, I think it's awesome. I love it that you do. So you do like a spring version and a fall version. Yeah, it's it's usually twice a year. Yeah. And the the, it's it's, <laughs> it sort of challenges us creatively because there's only a fixed amount of ingredients. We make cocktails with ingredients people can find in the conservatory, usually blooming around that season. Um, so like banana, coffee, and like the the med- uh, the different rooms, um, aloe. Uh, rosemary pineapple ryan's helped out one year and and, uh yeah it's it's just a really cool event yeah i like the springtime it's still light out at night so the whole thing is lit Mm. up and then in the fall it's dark and so it's just candlelit i mean they're totally yeah it's just candles and like some string lights uh last fall i think we did it so late in the season it was the first week of november so it started it was already dark out um daylight savings time ended so it was all just candles and like tea lights and stuff and it was really really romantic actually yeah i thought it's just it's funny they're very different vibes but i like them both yeah kind of equally um is there anything else you guys wanted to sort of shout out or plug or or talk about as far as the local scene um i think in in reference to the last the, the two events we mentioned uh something that's been kind of i don't know an opinion of mine uh that I've tried to be more and more vocal about is the idea of bars and, and bartenders being a force of good in their communities. Um, it's something that, I don't know, when <laughs> if people give me a couple drinks, I'll start talking about with a lot of, like, passion and, and seriousness. <laughs> um, and you probably just launch it up. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, communities that, that sort of demonize bars as, like, a blight on the community instead of what we really are. We're of, at least of a growing mindset that that bars can do some good, um, versus just showing up in your in your neighborhood to, to make money and cause, cause a scene and trouble and mm-hmm. you know have a bunch of rowdy clientele. Like I think the bars we represent are, are of a like a more serious mindset in that way. Like, yeah, we can do some cool things. And it's interesting where all, all of you guys are located. Um, maybe especially you. But I feel like some neighborhoods get this bad rap for only being, you know, rowdy and, and college-age kids. And, Absolutely. And then a place like Bookmakers comes along and it's like, no, I mean, you can still have this sophisticated spot in this neighborhood known for something. And you're still going to get customers from that neighborhood that, yeah, you mean, know, don't want to... There's plenty of people that live in that neighborhood. And I mean, I, I noticed that when I put in my notice at Jack's and started telling my regulars that I was going to Federal Hill. A lot of my regulars there actually live in Federal Hill. Wow. And they would just leave that neighborhood on the weekends because there was really not a whole lot of options for people that wanted a more mature bar crowd. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we were able to grab a lot of those people that were generally leaving the neighborhood, keep them there on the weekends. And um, and that's an important thing, too, is to bolster that community. It's just and nice to have options for people. Yeah. And, and we still get a... We get a good amount of the younger people as well, but, you know, they'll come in there for a nice dinner before they go out. Like, Rye, its size, we've kind of carved out a little niche in Fells Point. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're, we'll be putting Max's out of business anytime soon. <laughs> we're just, I mean, we're doing something different enough where 
you know, people don't have to leave their neighborhood where you can offer somebody, people, uh, another option within their own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I think it's nice. I mean, it gives you variety, mm-hmm. um, which I personally like. I always say I, I think for, to take people in from out of town is to go to a place like Rye and then a place like Cat's Eye. And it's like you've seen a good, <laughs> yeah, a good kind of breadth of, of places. Um, so to have both of those, you know, down the street from each other has been really nice. I think the, the city really has benefited from that on a whole. Of, now there's different kinds of places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk about like 10 or 15 years ago. Like 15 years ago was when I moved into the city. It was, there wasn't really a lot of variety. Your choices were, were like loud uh, club mm-hmm. with a bunch of people drinking like teenies mm-hmm. or like big bar, loud, live music, mm-hmm. beer and shots. And like... Very little in between, or right. very little uh, variety, and I think that's changed a lot, and that's that's pretty awesome. Now, I mean, now we have a we have a mezcal bar right. in town. I know. I'm gonna talk to Lane on this. Hopefully, coming up, <laughs> I'm really excited because she's like an encyclopedia about that. We stuff. have we have ramen joints. We have yeah, yeah. The food industry. I think a cool thing to talk about is the fact that uh, Zagat. Uh, rated yeah. Baltimore as the second best city in the U.S. for food. It's crazy. Behind Pittsburgh. Which is so weird. Keep that rivalry going between <laughs> yeah, right. and them. Yeah, we no, can't but I think I think that's awesome that uh, they didn't pick like New York and Chicago. Totally. I mean, I think it has to do with you know accessibility and price points and stuff like that. Right. Um, and the fact that cities like those have huge amounts of just like pizza joints and yeah. hole in the wall yeah. like Chinese places and little bodegas, which I don't know if those count for and, like, food, a but little more yeah, you yeah, have such character. a. I mean, they have thousands of those where we don't have thousands of those. So right. you know the quality versus quantity for us actually might be better. Yeah, if, if that's We might have a higher quality overall versus the quantity that large cities... Plus, like yeah, cities huge cities have. like that, I, I feel, tend to be a little bit more dog-eat-dog with the, the competitiveness between places. Uh-huh. Like here, everyone opening a bar, restaurant, whatever, like you're, you're an underdog from the beginning. Right. Like, yeah. You're right. going to have to work really hard to like make a mark and, and do something consistent and good and have people show up. So And you're going to have I'd... to get along with your yeah. competitors. Yeah. That's why our, our community, I think, is so strong, too, with the guild, that everybody gets along real well because it's a smaller city. Yeah. You, you work together. Well, yeah, the whole uh, a rising tide raises all boats sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. We don't, we don't really have to be competitive with each other. We can all kind of get along and, right. and succeed together. Totally. And I, th- I think what's cool about Baltimore, too, is while all these kind of places open up, cocktail bars and mezcal bars, there's still so many corner bars that just have, like, Bud and Bud Light, mm-hmm. and that's what they do, and there's a jukebox, and mm-hmm. those places mm-hmm. still exist. I, I mean, I think that that's really cool because it's not, nothing's totally, completely gentrified. Mm-hmm. Um well, I think sometimes I mean, there's a misnomer that, like, we, we love those bars. Oh, I know. Like, we love dive bars. That's we what love I'm saying. Bars. That's, what, that's where you go when you get off work, I'm sure. Yeah. Mama's is one of my favorite bars yes. in the city to go to, yeah. especially get off work, because it's off the beaten path of Federal Hill, and it's great. It's probably quiet, you can it's think. quiet, you can play pool. Get yeah. a shot of evil. Absolutely. <laughs> I have this great triangle, <laughs> yeah. this great triangle around my house of uh, Spirits Tavern, Henninger's, and Peter's mm-hmm. Inn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't really have to go that far. That's, yeah. like, the trifecta. Yeah, yeah. it is nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, real nice. <laughs> cool. Well, I think now we're going to make a cocktail of some kind. Sure. So we'll go over to the bar and do that. So we got some mint out. I'm just picking some mint, adding it to our mixing tins. So we can give it a little bit of a shake to get all these flavors kind of activated together. So 
This is probably like, need per cocktail. Probably like six leaves of mint would probably be pretty good. You don't okay. need too much mint. Thank you, sir. Um, and a Southside, I mean, its origins are like Chicago via Long Island, and then it made its way down here, right? Is that the the, the, num- the number one thing about researching cocktails is uh, the history is always fuzzy at best because alcohol tends to, you know, result in fuzzy memories. Um, so <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and nobody's really uh, prone to writing things down when they're in a bar having a good time. So the South Side, yeah, I think gin, lime, uh, sugar, mint. Um, but you can do it with. I think we're gonna do it with rye today. Yeah, we're gonna do. We're it talking with, about rye. Let's do it with rye. We're doing it with some Catoctin Creek Roundstone Rye. Your favorite, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we added our rye, okay. our lemon juice, and we're now and we have our mint in there. We're going to give it a quick little shake. Get a good amount of ice in there. Cue shaking sound. <laughs> it's a rocket. I don't like to shake cocktails too hard with with mint because I don't want to break up the mint to the point where it's now like a, a chopped salad. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can I get a, wanna, some bitterness in there too. Yeah, I just like bruising it a little bit. So adding ice to our glasses we're serving the cocktail in. Now, strain these guys out a little bit. So, straining it out evenly over all the glasses so everyone ends up with a uh, similar flavor looking cocktail. Lots of ice, right? Lots of ice. Ice is key. And. It's an easy cocktail to do a. Uh, a little riff on you could add a little bit of fruit flavor to this cocktail add, throw in some bitters um, our mint is well smacked garnishing each cocktail with a little bit of mint Doug's do the brush daintily, brushing the daintily mint. brushing it on, <laughs> his on the hand. palm and then so like warm it up and then yeah and really so it's, just... it's really great when you leave it in your drink this way you know we don't just uh, eat or drink with our with our palates, you know, we also eat and drink with our eyes and our nose, obviously. So then you get this uh, wonderful aroma in your nose, and the smell kind of enhances the cocktail a little bit. So here you go, Ryan. A little south side for you, Jess. South side for you. Thank you. South side for Doug, and a south side for me. So beautiful. Our lovely little south side. Cheers, guys. With Thank uh, you rye for... With Rye for Baltimore and uh, for George Lee. Yes, for George Cheers, Lee. Guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to the very first episode of the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. And if you are interested in keeping up with the Baltimore Bartenders Guild, you can follow them at Be More Bar Guild on Twitter and Instagram. And as for me, you can follow me at Jess Mayhew on Twitter and Instagram. And to keep up with this podcast, you can follow at Buzzed in Be More on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to tune in next month where we will be road tripping it to an area brewery and talking, finally, Orioles opening day. Cheers.